Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. Stenhouse Publishers amplifies educators' voices through professional books written by teachers for teachers. Check out one of our hot-off-the-press books like Nourishing Caregiver Collaborations by Naval Karuni. This book is rooted in the simple truth that we can't separate knowing our students from knowing their homes, communities, and the people they love. Karuni's toolkit expands our understanding of literacy, embraces the strength of difference, and empowers students to share in decision-making. Use code STEN24, S-T-E-N-24, for 20% off the Routledge website through April 26th. Welcome back to our classroom, folks. Listen, the guest that I have today, we've been going back and forth for a bit. I'm talking about several months now, trying to make this thing happen. She wasn't available, I wasn't available, she's traveling, I'm traveling. But here we are, here we are finally with the award-winning author of Breathe and Count Back from 10. Natalia Sylvester, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Roberto. I'm excited to be here. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. Listen, I'm going to be straight up with you. I never saw myself reading a book about mermaids. <laughs> but here we are. And it was good. It was good. You definitely got my attention with this book. And I appreciate the numerous themes that you covered. There's so much for us to talk about, so much for us to unpack. And one of the central themes in the book revolved around some physical challenges, particularly as it relates to the main character, Veronica Vero, having hip dysplasia, dysplasia. How do you say that word? It's dysplasia. Yeah, hip dysplasia. Dysplasia. Yeah. Hip dysplasia. And talking about that journey of, of becoming a mermaid at Mermaid Cove. T tell us about this central theme and how you arrived there. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, so I I have a lot in common with Veronica. So I um, she's Peruvian American like me. She was born in Peru, came to the U.S. when she was very young. And also like me, she was born with hip dysplasia, which is a condition in which your hip socket isn't quite like aligned in, in its socket. And so it kind of, there's all sorts of disalignment. Um, and because of this, she was in and out of surgeries as a child like me. And I've always known that I wanted to write about this. I, you know, it's it's been a part of my life since birth. And I just never knew like what the story um, that I wanted to write it in, like what story, what, what shape would it take? And a lot of times when I'm writing, I think a lot about um if particularly if I'm writing about things that might be hard or might be like layered in terms of maybe having hardship, but also having joy. I also, I try to lean into the joy. And so I kept coming back to this idea of mermaids because when I was young, I just, I wanted to become a mermaid. That was like my dream. And I thought, well, if I can um, 
give this character something really deep, like this deep dream that I can very much relate to, then I can have her, like she, I can know her dreams like somewhere deep in my bones and I can get to know her in a way that, um, that like we'll understand each other. And so that's really how I arrived at this story about Veronica. She lives in central Florida in a town that has an attraction called Mermaid Cove, where professional performers dress up in tails underwater and they do all sorts of underwater choreography and they're world famous. And um, there is an opening for a new mermaid in her town that's the summer before her senior year of college. And Vero wants to audition, but the only problem is that her parents are very overprotective of her, um, both in terms of her disability and, you know, how what they think she can and can't do with her body. Um, but they're also very overprotective of her in general. So this is also a summer which a cute new neighbor moves into the neighbor into her apartment complex. And Vero is crushing really hard. And um, her parents are also very strict about boys. Um, and, you know, really it becomes a summer of her wanting to make decisions for herself on her own, her own terms, both in terms of chasing her dreams, in terms of her um, sexuality and her love life, um, her kind of stepping into her own as a woman who has this whole future ahead of her and wants to be the one making the major decisions in it. Yeah, there was a lot of tension there. Tension yeah. between Vero and the parents and her navigating her her, her physical disability uh not just with the parents but with how others viewed her right yeah. the comments that folks made i remember towards the end of the book barbara made a comment about how you shouldn't cover up your scar because it's beautiful and veronica's response was like why does someone always have to say something about the scar or or offer something to make me feel in a particular way. Why can't they just let it be? I just want to essentially just exist. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that, well, she's, she's, Vero has experienced two things with regards to her scars and um, also with regards to like how she walks and you know, she has a limp and she is always self-conscious about her body. Um, but particularly with her scars, she's heard both sides of it. You know, people have, told, have looked at it like it's ugly and really kind of in horror and then other people would might say like, oh, but it's beautiful. It's a battle scar. And really, she just doesn't want it to be either. She is like, not everything has to be a war. Like my body isn't a war, a war ground to be waged. Right. And mm -hmm. um, but also it's not horrifying. It just is. And that's really what she wants is to be allowed to exist um, without this outer gaze um, making all these judgments. I, I was drawn in to the book for a number of different reasons. I live in Central Florida. I, I'm in Tampa. I haven't yeah. been to, uh, what is it, Wishiwashi? Yeah, Wikiwashi, you're right there. So Wikiwashi definitely inspired Mermaid Cove. So I haven't been there yet, but there, there's a friend who has been there several times. It's their favorite place to go. She has like six kids and she's she's told me about it. And I'm, I'm eager to go and bring my kids there. And now after reading the book, I'm like, when we finally go, we'll be like, yo, where the mermaids at? <laughs> yeah. Where the mermaids at? This is Natalia's spot. <laughs> but also that Alex, Alex moved from Houston. And I, I, I've only been in Central Florida. I've been in Tampa for two and a half years, but we moved from Texas. Oh, we, we, I did too. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, I know you, I think you were in the Rio Grande Valley. Mm -hmm. 
which is awesome. I know a lot of people over there. Right. And I was in Central Texas in Austin, but I also spent time in Houston and some other areas in Texas, not living there, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So I was really drawn in there, even thinking about Alex and his mother driving and Alex having driven all those miles from Texas to Florida. I'm like, I drove when we moved. I drove from Texas to Florida. So I know about all the yeah. miles. I know about that journey. <laughs> so I was really drawn in by some of that context and some of those details with these characters. Like I just, I felt myself there. I also felt myself there as a parent. I think I'm somewhat protective of my children. They're young, they're eight, five and three. I have two daughters. That's hmm. like the father in this yeah. book had two daughters. So there's things that I can relate with. I'm like, yo, these are my girls. These are my babies. You know, I'm trying to keep them there as long as possible before it's time to release. Mm. And yet, and I'm not, we're not at that stage yet. My, my kids are too young, but I know it's, at some point we're going to cross that bridge when they're moving more towards their independence. And wow, felt that tension there especially with the father, like you could cut that, right? But also thinking about how much care they had for Vero, things that they shielded, fair or unfair, Mm -hmm. uh, but things that we do as parents because we don't want our kids to hurt. We don't want them to carry the burdens. And and sometimes we're holding those things and, and... it's, maybe it's not necessarily the right approach, right? And I think that's part of what Vero was getting at. Like, hey, you know, I should have known. I should have known that this was going on with my body and I should have voice and say in the decisions as to how we proceed. Uh, can you talk about that tension a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, part of, I think, part of the tension with the parents uh, really just came out of it was a hard thing to write because I'm writing as an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Who I could be Vero's parent, uh, but the story is told through Vero's point of view, and it's for you know readers who who could really see themselves in Vero, whether they're adults with um, just reconnecting to that teen part of themselves, or also you know primarily other teens. And so, I really wanted to make sure to see it through Vero's eyes, but also understand the parents' point of view. And I think it can, it kept coming down to like they love her so deeply, but sometimes um, they become overprotective. And even though that is rooted in love, it can really stifle her. So like Vero, um, at the beginning of each chapter, um, has uh, word definitions, and it's like yes. the first definition is yeah, thank you. Uh, the, the first definition is like the dictionary definition of a word, and the second definition is uh, her version of how she would define that word. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, those definitions are grappling with things. Like I know one of the words is suffocate. Another word is suelta, which in um, in English and Spanish, like have different kind of, or excuse, in English, well, the direct translation is let go. But in Spanish, there's also, um, it can often be used to describe like a loose woman. Um, and mm-hmm. this is something that also her parents are very strict about um, boy, like actually about sex in general and, and how um, she can present herself as a young woman. And so much of it, like for her, she just wishes they would let go, right? They would, you know, let her have her independence. Um, and for them, it becomes something about needing to 
figure out that journey too, you know, of, of, of kind of trusting, like, you know, you've done, you have to trust how you've raised this person, right? You have to trust um, that you've, you've guided and taught them well to make the decisions that they'll make. And then also to make the mistakes they might make and learn from those. And so it, there's constantly that tension with them. And I know for a lot of people, depending on who's reading it, I've noticed that um, it's either too extreme that it seems to them, um, which is usually someone uh, reading it who might not necessarily relate to Vero's cultural background. Um, and then with um, a lot of Latinx readers, they'll just tell me like, that's so relatable. And I think that sometimes um, what I've found, especially with Vero's family, because they're immigrants, um, because she is a young woman of color, um, in uh, navigating a world that has different rules for her than it may have for others, um, you know, they're trying to protect her from that, but then they're also bringing their own very strict rules along with it under the guise of that protection. So it's a hard thing for them to navigate constantly and it becomes a real source of conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that surfaced in terms of their conflict was a reason for them being protective and, and for the parents that is, and doing mm-hmm. things the way they did things was their status in the country, mm-hmm. right? So thinking about immigrants and, and thinking about some of the challenges that immigrants experience when they come to the United States. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, Vero came to the U.S. Vero and her family came to the U.S. when she was very young. And so they have spent most of her childhood, what she remembers, um, really navigating the immigration system to try and become um, citizens. And at this point in the book, they have finally gotten their green cards. And it's been a really hard road of, you know, just so much waiting, so much um, hoping you don't make a single mistake along the way because any wrong step um, can really get you, um, you know, can get you in trouble and they fe- they live in fear of being sent back. Um, and so this, ten- like that, that feeling of instability is one that she has grown up with and that she has felt really deeply. And it really ends up coming, um, you know, coming to light, I guess, uh, when she decides she wants to become a mermaid at this, at Mermaid Cove, because it comes with all these different forms. It, it comes with her having to present her social social security card. It comes with her having to sign liability waivers. And, um, and she knows her parents wouldn't go for it. And so I'm not going to spoil it. But the thing I think, um, for me, this idea of paperwork ended up being really, um, a really big part of this book uh, in terms of the tension and the the hardship that can come with that when you're an immigrant, um, when so much revolves around this idea of los papeles, you know, what's going to happen if we don't get our papers? Um, will we be allowed to be here or will we not? And it and it just it's just a sheet of paper, but it can determine so much in your life, right? And so this idea of record keeping um, for Vero is just... It, it really, um, it determines whether she's going to be able to chase her dreams, you know, and in terms of her own body, when it, how it relates to her disability, like she has, there's the one, there's one passage where she reflects on the power that record keeping has had over her body her whole life. Um, you know, not just in terms of immigration papers, but in terms of like doctor's notes, in terms of 
um, x-rays in terms of prescription orders. Um, and basically she's realizing like someone else has been writing the story of my life and I want to write it for myself now. Right. That's powerful. That's powerful. It's important for folks to take control of the narrative. It's important for folks to tell their stories, for folks to feel like they can lean into all that's impacting them. And we see that with, we see that with Vettel and, and the story delves into her quest for control over her life. And it, it makes me wonder about um, how you went about developing the, the character, developing the plot um, and maintaining authenticity for each of the different characters, right? Like you felt the authenticity of Alex's uh, care and empathy for Vero, but also the authenticity of his own struggles, particularly mm -hmm. as it relates to depression and in, in the divorce of his parents. And I think that many, many can relate to that. Many can relate mm -hmm. to having experienced divorce. Many can relate to having bouts with depression. Uh, well, why did you choose to also address some of those themes yeah. in your book? Yeah, so it's twofold because often when I'm writing um, in the first draft of a book, I'm just listening to the characters. So it was really, truly Alex who one day I'm writing him and I realized, oh, Alex has depression and this is part, this is part of his story. And, you know, it's been going on ever since, since his parents divorced and probably long before, actually. And they haven't always um, known how to help him. Right. Because I think that when we're talking about disability, we often think about um, the different kinds of disability. Some are more visible than others. And depression is not as visible as something like um, that Vero deals with, which is mm -hmm. more physical and, and evident as she moves through the world. Um, once I realized going into it, like, OK, so this is who Alex um these are this is part of this layered existence that of that Alex that who Alex is right um it really it just made a lot of sense to me and it was it was about just listening to him um you know there are like depression is a topic very close to my own heart and my own life and mm -hmm. I um I really just wanted to write with as much understanding and compassion as I could for both of these characters. And I ended up having them lean into each other to find that, to really see each other and hear each other. Because even though their disabilities are very different, um, there are places where they can overlap. You know, with Vero's, it, it's actually not very uncommon for um, a lot of people with disabilities to also have um, mental health issues because if you live like Vero does with chronic pain um, or like Vero does with like not always being feeling heard in the needs of her body um, you know something like depression or anxiety could come up as well right and um, and similar to that I think it's why Alex understands her so well is that she can see um, her struggles and not um, not feel the need to invalidate them and not tell her, oh, it's all in your head, like he has heard many times in his own life. Mm. Uh, so that was just, that was really important to me. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I originally wrote Alex, 
I originally wrote the love interest in the very first draft. Um, and I wouldn't even call it the first draft because it was the first chapter I was trying to write. And then I rewrote it and rewrote it. And I was like, this isn't working and this isn't working. And it was because the first time I was writing this chapter of them meeting, he actually made her very uncomfortable by looking at her scars and asking all these invasive questions about it. And I realized like, I don't want her love interest to be someone who is already coming from this like toxic place and this place of making her feel less than like, I felt like she deserved to feel loved and whole, you know, in her whole self. And it doesn't mean that she had, like, I'm not trying to erase those experiences because she's also felt, you know, dealt with other horrible experiences that that show up in the book, but aren't in the foreground. Like they're not the point of the book. They're part of her experience. But in terms of like the relationship that she has, that is um, more spotlighted in this book, I wanted it to be something that made her feel good and that made him feel good and that they can come together um, without it being this like um, conflict ridden thing, because they already have enough pain and conflict in their own lives. Mm. Um, and I thought there would be something really beautiful in them being able to see each other and support each other through that. Mm, that's good. That's good. Can you <clears throat> share with, share with us, share with the audience, how you think this book can be utilized in a classroom setting? Yeah, there's a few ways actually. And I found um, one of the ones that I've like when I've done um, visits, I talk a lot about language because Vero is very, um, she's very obsessed with language and it's why she does these dictionary definitions, right? And so I've often used that as an exercise with other students and it becomes a way for us to talk about the power of language, mm -hmm. like who gets to define words, right? And the thing about words and how they get defined is that it's truly defined by us, like collectively, how we're using them over time, who is applying meaning to them. Um, the more meaning gets attached to a word over time, it eventually gets its way into a dictionary with that with that um, usage, right? And so I think we have a lot more power in language than we realize. And um, I, I often use this exercise in, like like Vero does at the beginning of, of each chapter to look at the dictionary, dictionary definition of a word and then define it based on her own words and her own terms based off of her own life experiences and see how that definition changes and also how, um, you know, how, what does it make you feel in terms of the power that that word now holds um, in order to kind of reflect on um, on language and um, and our own role in it. Um, another thing I love to do because the water is such an important part of this um, of the book and the water over time took a lot of different meanings for Vero is that um, so and, and the mermaids took a lot of different meanings for Vero as a result. Uh, so a lot of times I'll have students think of different sea creatures and think of like, which would be the one that represents you, you know, that you mm -hmm. feel connected to the way that Vero feels connected to mermaids. And then why is that? And then if we take it even further, then how does that, um, that, that choice impact the word choices we make, the, um, the figurative language that we use, the flow of the language, mm -hmm. um, the rhythm and, and that becomes, um, that one's, I, I found really um, useful in, in creative writing classes and things like that. That's great. That's great. Are, are there, are there common ones that come up from the students when you're presenting this? 
they're always surprising. They're always so surprising. I remember one student um, talked about an electric eel, which was so surprising and really cool. Um, but uh, they were just talking about the charge of like this electric um, eel, like moving through water and how like you have water, but you also have electricity and the contrast between the two elements. Um, and then um, I think somebody talked about, was it the, a narwhal? Which before writing this book, I never realized it was a real thing. <laughs> I always thought it was uh, like a make-believe creature, but it's not. Um, so yeah, there's just so many different uh, ways to approach it. Other other students actually created and like created their own creature um, entirely. So they're now creating their own mythology, mm. which I thought was really cool. And we can we talk about origin stories because you know Vero talks about her own origin story as well. Um, and so there's a lot of different um, directions that we often go with it. Yeah. You know, I I noticed a few times in the book references to the birth place that you're not familiar with, that Veto's not familiar with, and then, you know, Florida, the the home that Veto knows. And, and I just, I sense the character working with that tension. Mm -hmm. uh, can you bring me in there? Because as a Dominican-American who was born in the United States, I think I've experienced that that tension also in terms mm -hmm. of Dominican Republic not being my birth home, but being my heritage, right? It's it, yeah. the, the home of my parents. So there's a connection there. And, and yet still, I'm like, guys, there's so mm -hmm. much that I don't know. And, and I'm, I'm a lot more familiar with things over here, even though I've spent time over there. So can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I think, um, you know, a lot of times when we come from an immigrant background, whether we're first generation, second generation, regardless of our birthplace, like we do feel that constant push and pull because there's a place that you are from. And then there's the place that shaped you and made you who you are. And they're not always the same places. And <clears throat> one of the things that ended up being a guiding image for this book was really the idea of hip dysplasia in general, right? Like, like I mentioned, it's like, you're not quite like your, your joint isn't quite fitting um, in the way that it should. Mm. And I remember there was a day when I was like, I felt that way my whole life as an immigrant, I have felt displaced, right? I have felt yeah. out of place. I have felt like I'm not quite fitting in the way I should. And that I am a, like out of alignment, essentially, in the way that um, my joints are, the way my skeleton, my my spine as a result. And this is also the case with Vero, as I think it's also the case with a lot of us who come from immigrant backgrounds, when we might not have the physical connection to the place that we're from, whether it's because we haven't been able to go back or whether it's because we've just gone, you know, we've, we haven't grown up there, maybe we've visited. Um, and then the place that has shaped us become two places and they don't always um, fit together in the way that maybe we see others fit. And so a lot of people like here in the U S will always ask, where are you from? And then as if we're not from here, and then if we have the chance to go back to our birthplace or our home country, they'll also kind of joke like, Oh, la Americana. Right. right. Um, <laughs> and so <clears throat> it makes you just feel a bit fractured. And so this is really like, that was, the idea I was working from with Fero is that she feels very fragmented and out of alignment all the time. And she has to arrive at a point where she realizes like the power 
of how whole I am or, or the idea of how whole I am isn't going to come from somebody else's idea of me, isn't going to come from someone else's stamp of approval. It has to come from me, yeah. you know? And so it, for her to arrive at a place where she's like, you know, even if I am um, of two places, that doesn't have to mean I'm fractured. It could actually mean that mm. I'm beautifully whole. Like all mm. of these pieces are a part of me and make me complete. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that's something that took me quite a bit of time to learn as well. That's good. That's good. I like, I like the way that you made that work. You know, there's, there's, there's a natural flow there between the the hip dysplasia and, and the fragmentation there, and then the fragmentation with you know mm-hmm. the birthplace and and the place that I grew up, and and so I I appreciate the the craftiness of your art with bringing the words together and and making it flow yeah. in a way where it connects with that central theme. And I also yeah. appreciate yeah. Your, your courage in telling your story and, and developing these characters in a way that draws us into conversations and content that, that perhaps is not necessarily the norm, right? Where we're talking mm-hmm. about a character that's dealing with a physical disability with hip dysplasia. I didn't even know what hip dysplasia was until I read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, a character that is experiencing surgeries and rehabilitation, right? These things mm-hmm. that, right? You can feel. I yeah. read that and I'm like, oh man, I feel the pain. Like I've, I've been through a surgery. I know the pain of a surgery. It wasn't for my hip, but nonetheless, a surgery. And then, and I, that was when I was, what, 14, 15 years old. I could still, when I think about it, I'm like, ah, I still feel that pain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so part of what you've done in sharing this story and being vulnerable with the character, with yourself, but also offering these details is really, at least for me and hopefully for other readers, is connect us to empathy that I think we all mm-hmm. need, right? Just, yeah. wow, that bring me into what this character's feeling and experiencing and, and, and help me to be a little bit more informed of what other people struggle with. Thank you. No, that means a lot. And, and also that it connected to you, you know, with your own memories and your own surgeries. And even though you might not have heard of hip dysplasia, like what I, one thing I've found when I talk to students is that they always find a way to relate. Um, and particularly with disability, which um, disability is something that affects so many of us. And yet we don't often talk about it because part of the conversation around disability that I think that many of us disabled people are trying to, um, to move further along is really to, get rid of the stigma and the silence that's attached to it. A lot of times um, we even internalize this idea that to voice our the needs of our bodies and um, the ways that um, let's say maybe if we have chronic pain or we have or, f- or if we need like attention um, or accommodations that we feel it might be a burden to others, right? Mm. And that's something that we need to break through because it's really about just advocating for ourselves. And the more we advocate for ourselves, we're also advocating for others by normalizing this idea that like most of us at one point or another will deal with some sort of disability. And what I've found is with students is that like 
a lot of times they'll tell me like, you know, I had a surgery once, or maybe they also deal with anxiety or depression or, you know, um, you know, I remember one student talking about their own scars and the ways that they related to how Vero deals with, you know, all the questions and feelings that she has about her scars. And I just think that it's, it's, it shouldn't be surprising, but sometimes it is, um, how, because we all live in a body, you know, and our bodies are also different. Um, and even talking about the ways that, um, the hip dysplasia is like a metaphor for how Vero walks through the world, you know, as an immigrant. Um, a lot of times I'll have, um, I've found that students can feel empowered to then write about their own bodies, right? And again, on their terms mm -hmm. and how that, what is below the surface, um, like that Vero deals with like all her dreams about being a mermaid and all her dream, like all the ways that she just doesn't want to be seen as like one thing, um, then can get reflected above the surface, and that we find parallels between the two. And so that's something that I love to talk about with students as well, because it's always so surprising, um, not just how unique their journeys are, but also how much they can interlap and find in common with one another. Mm. That's real. So let's shift a little bit. If you had the opportunity to have lunch with anybody dead or alive, who would be <laughs> and why? <laughs> Oh God, this was such a hard question. Um, <laughs> I kept coming back to, uh, and I think it's because I'm in recently, I've really been wondering a lot about my family history. Um, and I think it would be my grandfather. Um, mm. He passed away in 2018. And um, I was, you know, I, I feel very lucky to have had him around as long as I did. Um, but he also has such a history that I wish I could know more about. Like he played, um, he played in the Olympics for Peru. He played wow. basketball. Wow. You know? And yeah. That's my he, sport. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. And it's just like, and I I got to hear a little bit about it, but I don't, it's never enough, you know, and, mm -hmm. and not just that, but just all sorts of things. Like what must have seen the, the the history of the world that he saw? Like what was it like through his eyes as um a Peruvian son of Italian immigrants? You know? Um, so I just, yeah, I just wish I could get that um that mo those moments mm. with him wonderful what's your message of encouragement to our audience yeah. oh so something i've been thinking about lately that's really is i think that so when we have goals like vero does for example um I, it's very common for us to get so hyper-focused on those goals that we don't end up nurturing all the other parts of ourselves. And so something that I've been coming back to lately is just to not be afraid to nurture all the different parts of yourself as a whole person, rather than as someone who is trying to have X goal, whether it's career, whether it's school, whether it's, um, you know, sports related, anything really like, because all of the more that you are being, that you're nourishing yourself as a whole person, like that's also going to serve your dreams, you know, but I have, there have been times in my life when if I like focus, all I focus on is my writing and nothing else, the writing actually suffers because mm -hmm. then the part of me, that's also like a wife and a daughter and a sister and an aunt and a friend and, um, you know, a plant obsessed dog person, you know, all these different parts of me that they're not like being nourished. Um, how can that whole person be putting um, the best part of herself into her writing when she can't. So I would say like, just to not be afraid to, um, to really 
look at your needs as a whole person because that's also that's how you're going to bring the best version of yourself forward to um to the world and to how you show up for not just yourself but your community thanks for sharing thank you where can folks follow you yeah so i am on um, natalia silv on instagram um i'm also on threads and um I'm really not on Twitter anymore. So, but my handle anywhere is Natalia Silv. So I'm also, uh, and you know, my website is nataliasylvester.com. So is that I'm the place? Happy. Is that the best place for folks to purchase your book? Yeah, actually. Um, so, Breathing Countback from Ten is available at any bookstore. Um, but definitely, if you go to my website, you'll find a link to my local independent store, which is where you can also find signed copies if you're interested in that. So. Um, Bueno, it was a pleasure, Natalia. So great to be with you, to to learn from you, to just dig into this book and unpack all these themes. Wishing you great success and looking forward to reading more of your content. Thank you. Thank you, Roberto. For all that you offered us and keep writing in a courageous manner. Keep being bold about the stories that you share and the topics that you address. We definitely need more writers who are changing the narrative and normalizing the conversations that sometimes feel taboo for us. Thank you, I appreciate that. As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, For resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.